0: mm <laughs> And welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joy Rios, and today my guest is Chandra Osborne, who is the Chief Behavioral Officer at Lirio. At Lirio, they use data and behavioral science to design, optimize, and validate behavior change solutions. So, Chandra and I talk about different approaches to supporting people in making healthier choices. And by the end of our conversation, I'm pretty sure we decided that we were going to be friends. Chandra is awesome. I think you're going to love her. So let's hear what she's got to say. It's very nice to get this opportunity to spend some time with you, get to know you and what you do in healthcare and health IT. Would you mind taking a moment to just introduce yourself and where you live in the healthcare ecosystem? Absolutely.
1: It's also a pleasure to connect with you and I'm grateful for this opportunity to talk a little bit about my professional journey and some of the advice that I can offer up. So Chandra Osborne, Chief Behavioral Officer at Lirio, and I'm a Behavioral Scientist by training. I um, also have a background in health communication, public health, statistics, an assortment, a collection of tools in the box. I'm um, really grateful for the opportunity I have at Lirio to be able to leverage um, many of those tools. So what does Lirio do? Lirio is a company that specializes in behavior change AI, and that's a new category. It's really not an AI company. It's a behavior change AI company, and the behavior change is core to its DNA. We hear a lot about AI and some of the ways in which it's it's misused, and it can often be not used in favor of individuals, and I think inherent in behavioral science is the betterment of people. And so bringing that into an algorithm, I think is a unique opportunity to really do what healthcare big mission is, is, which is to serve humans and improve their health.
0: Does it focus on any specific conditions or disease states or like what is the type of behavior that we're hoping to change. It really boils down to each person because each person
1: requires different types of healthcare services and different self-care recommendations. And so the beauty of what Lirio is bringing to the healthcare ecosystem are a set of capabilities that can be integrated with what payers are using, what providers are using, what digital therapeutics companies are using to understand what each individual needs to improve their health and support their journey at the end of one level, which I think is a very foreign concept because healthcare is traditionally very siloed and you have these, you know, big systems that are focused on specific objectives right Um, and the individual gets lost in that sometimes
0: so help me understand is it if i were engaging with Lirio, would it be something that i do as an individual like i'm going to the store, or is it like i'm talking we are not an app so what we do is we really are communicating on behalf of a
1: payer or a healthcare system, or an employer or another company that we're working with that is really trying to engage and action individuals to take certain clinical recommendation steps. Clinical guidelines are, you're a certain age, you need a particular cancer screening, we know that there is a gap. Not everybody does that. And there's short-term and downstream effects that are costly to each human being and also to the companies that are serving them. That's where Illyrio comes in, is we can help close that gap because we're understanding people based on what they do and what they don't do and what's in the way to be able to knock down some of those barriers and really connect and engage each person within the population uniquely. Okay. Because that's very much an expectation now. We have so much personalization happening everywhere that the demand for that in healthcare is has been
0: high; it's never been higher. So, what have been some of those barriers? What are some of the barriers that are being broken down that, like, that get in the way of people accessing or following through with some of the the care that they might
1: need? Yeah. So, there's many, and behavioral scientists have documented this in the scientific literature, very much well documented, but. Oftentimes that science doesn't get applied to the real world. And the behavioral scientists at Lirio is really trying to translate and implement that science in a way that can bring value to the healthcare ecosystem. So barriers include, but aren't limited to misinformation, distrust, cost, affordability, not feeling seen or not perceiving that you have a risk of an issue. Mm -hmm. I don't have a family history of breast cancer or colorectal cancer. Why do I need this? This is too expensive. That is just a handful of them, but there are tons. And so we go through a very lengthy process of identifying what those are and then using active ingredients from behavioral science to overcome that in the communications we send to individuals. And with a Each communication, we're able to learn what is working and what is not. And that allows us to begin the journey of personalizing to each person, not only about a cancer screening, but about a vaccination, taking their medication, really anything that they're expected to do in their unique health journey.
0: Gotcha. And then I imagine that it also... With their journey, it's also their preferred method of communication. Do you, Would you That's rather right. talk via text or do you like emails or would you rather have a phone And that there? may change yeah. over time. Yeah. And so we're able to learn
1: that about each person and what they're engaging with and what they're not and harness that learning to engage with them better the next time around.
0: Gotcha. So what did you study in order to get into your field? Yeah,
1: it's an interesting journey. So I'm a social psychologist by training and really social psychology is interested in understanding why people do what they do and then understanding how to influence that and figuring out how to influence what decision-making, but also getting people to take action. My training has been largely in health for the past 20 years. I've been in the health space. So I've been working with health psychologists since undergrad, really. Cool. And it's one of the reasons why my social psychology background has been squarely focused in health. One of the
0: things that gets me thinking a lot lately has been a little bit trying to understand maybe just my own behavior of, oh, okay, we do things that are comfortable or that we've done before or that we can't even imagine. And sometimes it's hard to make a decision even like about your future. What should I do? What choice should I make if I can't even imagine something different than what I've already experienced. And the psychology of that, I find it to be really interesting interesting because I have to actually tell myself like, no, like maybe things are even better than you could have ever imagined. And mm-hmm. how to allow for that as an option. You're hitting on something that is well known among
1: social psychologists, health psychologists, which is the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And so we know that at Lirio. And so we're able to understand that based on what people have done and what they haven't done and what they've responded to and what they haven't responded to and what people like them have responded to and what they haven't responded to, to better understand each person within the population to try to move everybody forward. And yeah. so and then we're how to able... get them to make a different choice. Yeah, it's all about meeting people where they are and being able to speak uniquely to them. Health is very personal. And when you have a good relationship with a healthcare provider that helps, it's hugely important to people's understanding and motivation and ability to execute on health recommendations. But most of how we take care of our health exists beyond the walls of that 15 minute visit. And it really is that we have an ongoing relationship with our own health. And so being a part of that relationship and knowing that there's something out there that stands beside you, I think is a very unique opportunity that Lirio sees. And is taking advantage of, which is amazing and exciting and the reason why I'm there.
0: It sounds also, they do a really good job of building trust, which I think is a hard thing, to a very difficult thing to do. Like, how do you get somebody to trust, oh, if you're going to make a different choice, you're going to change your behavior, that it's going to be something that ends up being good. Hey, you trust that it's in your best interest. I don't know. Can you speak about that a little bit? It's empathy. It's trust. It's people want to be seen
1: yeah. And oftentimes, there's too many scenarios in life where people are just part of the crowd. And seeing it, each individual that's being served from whatever other sector in healthcare. Yeah. I do. think it's just a very exciting opportunity. And we've seen that begin to pay off, which is just, I think, very exciting.
0: That's good. I mean, you also touched on something earlier, like the idea of countering misinformation or helping people make But And I guess in relation to to COVID or the vaccine, or do you have any experience or stories to tell on that? Because I'd be super interested. Yeah, I can speak to to that Lirio is
1: very mission-driven and the people who choose to be a part of our mission are brilliant and share a passion and are very motivated to do bring something valuable to the world. So in that spirit, when vaccinations became available, we really wanted to be a part of supporting that become reality where the majority of people choose the vaccine and we created a program to promote COVID-19 vaccinations and was able to deliver that program through a healthcare system client in one of the southern states that had at what t- one time the lowest vaccination rates. And we've been a part of their journey in promoting vaccinations with their patients. And so we've been able to address some of the misinformation. We use multiple channels, text messaging, email, other channels that are available and we hear replies and we learn from every reply and it allows us to go back and do better and we can make changes without compromising any loss of learning from those engagements and what the, the algorithm is able to pick up for personalizing for the entire population. So because of not only the vaccine and being able to overcome some of those barriers and one of the unique things too about that use case is It dynamically changes over time. The pandemic ebbs and flows and it's not gone. And so having something that can really be responsive to that dynamic context is so critical. And so as people are doing different things, we can pick that up and we can then offer up an additional communication that is more in line with where they are today.
0: And there's something, it was really hard at times to not come from a place of why aren't more people and just coming from a place of judgment of like how come more people aren't getting the vaccine. But I think people have had very some very legitimate concerns of what their reasoning is. And it is for a lot of people, understandably, they're just like not really sure of the right thing. So I'm sure there must've been a lot of different either messages or methodologies or something like of being able to address a myriad of their concerns was there anything that stood out to you as maybe like more effective or less effective or like what were the things that hit on you like somebody had been really holding out for a really long time and then decided to change their mind what was it that did it and I know that that's not going to be the same for everybody, but if there's any that stand out. Yeah, it (laughs)
1: it is um, unique to each person. And so it might help if I help you understand how this works a little bit. So we have a team at Lirio of behavioral designers and what they're doing is using the assortment of active ingredients from the behavioral science literature to overcome some of these cognitive blockers, psychological blockers, contextual blockers that are in the way of people doing what it is they're being asked to do to better their health. And so they are then creating these amazing images and copy to make that ingredient come to life. And then what our algorithm and platform does is assemble those together so that each communication is a unique recipe. And then that recipe gets sent and we see what people do. And that's how it begins to learn and personalize over time.
0: There's somebody, I'm just like, I'm thinking about my some members of my own family that have still are still resisting. And I'm just like, what's the magic answer? Because we've tried all of these different ways and think about it from this way. Let's flip it on its head. Let's address all, every single one of your concerns and that... that there's the bull has put her foot down she nope we're not doing this and
1: (laughs) there will be a segment of people who are just a hard no they're not in that deliberating space they're not in the wait and see space we're usually when people are have strongly dug in their heels there needs to be a human element to it it's not a digital communication that will make that come alive yeah in everything <laughs> the whole kitchen sink and a lot of high human touch uh, we've well, tried well, we're, we like, we're, like, we're like
0: really, we're not even <laughs> there I'm yet not we're not just like you <laughs> uh,
1: from a behavioral science perspective you're doing exactly what would be
0: um, <laughs> useful All right. I'm like, as long as our efforts are, we're really trying. Even as like multiple family members, and it doesn't. We're like, oh, you're going to be the one that gets through. Oh no, her daughter's going to be the one that gets through to her. Nope, and it's nobody will. At least not yet. Not yet. Not yet. It's good to know that there's efforts that can be made. And it sounds like in the state that had the lowest rates, do you know where they are now? They are not the lowest, which (laughs) is great. And we've. Just great progress
1: happening as a result of the work that we're doing with them. I think something to mention too is health equity in general has been a big theme during the pandemic. And specifically in health care, we've always known about health disparities. (laughs) They've always been there, but I think really bubbled to the top in the last two years as a major priority. So Lirio lends itself to that. Because of our personalization, you really are serving each person. It isn't the majority, it isn't the, you know, one message for all. It's meeting each person where they are, where the possibility of communicating with them is in the hundreds of possible recipes. And because we use that approach, and this is an approach that I used in my academic career, been doing personalization with high-risk, underserved populations for all of my career, which is not only improving behaviors and getting patients to get preventive screenings and preventive care and chronic care and the things that they need to be doing to manage their health, but you're really seeing significant lift among those who are traditionally left behind who have worse health, worse outcomes, higher healthcare costs, prematurement. And we see this across the board wherever we're communicating in different regions of the country, regardless of what we're communicating about, that Lirio is the tide that lifts all boats. And so we see a lot of lift among Medicare, Medicaid populations, low-income populations, racial ethnic minorities. And that's consistent,
0: low-educated. That's got to feel good. I imagine that like... It works. It works for everyone. Yeah. Can we take a minute to talk about you and your personal journey for a second? I've been loving the answers to this question. And I would like to know, what do you think 10 year old you would think about what you're doing for your career right now? Did she even, was it even a glimmer of something that she could imagine? Yeah. Yeah, Talking about future selves, right? Yeah, Um, (laughs) No, she didn't. She, like you, was used to what
1: she was around. And I was raised by a single parent mom Mm -hmm. who was the daughter of two Marines. My grandmother was one of the first female Marines in the Marine Corps. She enlisted in 1952, just four years after women started to enlist. And at the time I thought that was my future, that I would become a Marine and I would be the first female commandant of the Marine Corps. And so I just was like, yes, I have trailblazing in my genes. I'm going to continue to lift that and really be a torch and see how far I can go. So I think that same spirit has been in my professional journey for sure because I tend to find myself in situations where there hasn't been someone like me in the environment. And so I like to trailblaze and I like to find my way and bring value to the people I'm working with and the the purpose that we're serving.
0: I can totally relate to that. My grandmother was, I don't know what branch of the army that she was in, but I know that she worked as a mechanic. Like on- on all of the like army trucks i love stuff. it i know that's amazing <laughs> there's just like pictures of her in uniform and just like oh. under the hood of a car i'm like really grandma okay yeah. so she's my mom's mom and i was raised by a single mom as well and i oh. do i think that there's something to be said do you have sisters did you have are there no, any? no i'm an only child you're an only okay so it was you and your mom right where it's okay if anybody's if anything needs to get done we're the ones that have to do it there's no one to turn around and be like hey can you do this for me and i get that spirit because you're just like it leads very clearly into a path of leader ultimately where you if something is going to get done or if you want something you have to go for it and it creates this drive within you it really does yeah well said yeah i've thought about it and i'm just like why is it that i'm like this (laughs) But it's in part because I think being surrounded by strong women too. And then for me, I I had a little bit of a switch going into the life outside of the home when there's this narrative around disempowering women, of women not being able to do certain things just because that's the way our culture is. But I was like, but I grew up in a home where we did everything. So it was really hard for me to make the switch of like, no, I can do it all to know I'm limited. and. I don't know if that makes oh, sense. That
1: speaks to me so well. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, why is our society telling me like my?" And of course, my mom was very encouraging and trying to find ways to like further my education and make sure that not only that I would be like self sufficient, but that I would I was contributing into in the world and whatever my dreams were, I could go after it. And I imagine—I'm guessing. Don't want to put your words in your mouth, but I'm guessing that your mom might have been similar. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
1: And in that same vein, in my childhood, I was constantly figuring things out. And I think I grew up really quickly because of that. Because we were really partners in navigating the world together. And never a ceiling. There was always opportunity to grow and problem solve and, you know, be a part of the solution. And so once you leave that and you see all these opportunities and you're like, I want to be a part of that. I want to help solve that problem. That's- yeah.
0: But it's not home in the real world. No, it's different. It's different out there. It's different. It's yeah. Different. But so did you, did 10 year old, you have an idea of what she wanted to do? Is it anywhere close to what you're doing? I knew that I wanted to climb and I,
1: my, I'm first generation college, low income background person of color, even yeah. though it's not visible.
0: Same. I call myself like I'm white presenting Mexicans. <laughs> yeah, Same. So I'm white pre- presenting American Samoan. Okay, so my dad's um,
1: American Samoan.
0: My sister's ex-husband was Samoan. And so we got, I got a lot of like time with the Samoan family too. And man, their, their culture is really like one of closeness and togetherness and it was really nice just to be close to it for a while they're no longer married but I'm like oh the Samoan family they were so <laughs> yeah it's a very close-knit culture everybody knows everybody and I, it's largely
1: due to part of me that I ended up in health and healthcare care because American Samoans have a significantly higher everything yeah and it's one of the reasons why I ended up in diabetes. I was diagnosed with prediabetes when I was 20, okay? And it was just all my first cousins around me were getting diagnosed with diabetes at a young age. And I've since had those first cousins and we grew up together. We went to school together. Have passed away due to complications of oh, diabetes. No. So health equity and health disparities and seeing those who aren't often seen mm-hmm. is a common bread in my career, just meeting people where they are.
0: I love to improve that. their health. I love that. I love that for a lot of reasons. So I moved on to Mexico right before the pandemic. But one thing that I've learned, I've learned a lot, but one thing that I learned is that a lot of native people to this area are lactose intolerant. And that's why when you go into a lot of the grocery stores here, there's a lot of the like lactose-free milk or you can't really there's not, and it's just like a a small tiny thing but apparently it's just like part of the of their dna that like native people couldn't consume milk and i don't know how much that affects their health but i guess if you're drinking a bunch of milk it would wow that's fascinating yeah there's a lot of different cultural things going on. But it definitely is highlighted and you realize like, oh my gosh, their experience of these people just walking through the world differently than what maybe I'm what I am used to or what I have experienced. It's just and even just even being close to the border. It's so different, 20 miles up the coast versus where I am.
1: Oh, totally. San Diego County.
0: Okay. And I don't know where exactly you are. Just north of Rosarito. So south, but basically like 20 kilometers south of the border on the coast. Yeah. So I grew up in Oceanside, which is part of Camp Pendleton, hence the Marine Corps background. Understood. Yeah. Uh Yeah, no, so I grew up in Orange County. My mom and, and grandmother, they were at the El Toro base. Okay. There. So, yeah, interesting. Wow. <laughs> so many parallels. I know. So where are you based now? I'm in Nashville. I love Nashville. Nashville is fun. Yeah. It's such a great town. All right, so next question is, What advice, imagine you at 23, we had pictured you at 10 and what you're doing with your but you've grown a little bit. Let's imagine you're at 23. Knowing where you are now, what advice would you give to your 23-year-old self?
1: Wow, such a great question. I I think I would give the 23-year-old version of myself the advice of just developing and owning your voice and not getting small. When the space, feel comfortable in the space, might have instinctually led to you getting smaller, yep those are the opportunities to really find your voice and to develop it, hone the skill, sit with it, embrace it, and practice.
0: I love that. and i I think there's a lot of different ways of doing that. I know, yeah, um, like there's not just one path of finding your voice for I like in the literal sense, my voice is pretty small. <laughs> my voice is like on the small side and especially in a group full of people. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's, it takes a minute for me a lot of effort to try to like get the attention of everyone in the room. And so it's been an int- it's been such an interesting journey to hone in on what is an opportunity for me. Turns out one-on-one with no interruptions, being able to just have a conversation like this is like right up my alley. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, but if you like, in a totally different setting, if we were around like a hundred people, and I would be like, I would need a microphone or a megaphone or something because my voice is yes. not really equipped to, to to command a room that way. But,
1: but I think you're you're speaking to the essence of the conversation, which is really around how unique each person's voice is and what they need to be successful. Yeah. And being responsive to that in a way that leads to betterment for all.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I love that. I love that basically the common thread through our conversation has been that everybody's journey is unique. and And that doesn't mean that there's not a way to like guide or get people on the right path or whatever connection or engagement that you have with other folks is really focusing on the fact that we're all special in our own way. (laughs) We're all (laughs) snowflakes. Well, Chandra, it's been really nice talking with you. If people nice want with to. You as well. Yeah, if they want to follow you or work with you or get in touch with you or, or your organization, where would you leave them? What's the best path for them to do?
1: So to get connected with Lirio, you can head to our website at lirio.com. Patrick Hunt would be someone you could reach out to. He handles, all, he fields a lot of the inbound interest in, in the company and is the triage person. And then to connect with me, I'm in all the places, Twitter, LinkedIn. My handle is Chandra at
0: Chandra Osborne. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Thank you for spending this time with me. It's been great yeah. getting
1: to meet you. It's been so <laughs> great connecting with you. And we. I really hope that we can have a follow-up conversation because I think we hit on something that was very impressionable to me. And Good. I would love to continue the connection.
0: Good. Let's make sure we keep in touch for sure. That sounds great. Thanks sure. so much, Joy. I appreciate it your support. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Inc. CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System or MIPS is super complex And if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate.